you know, maybe we're all a bit, a bit different and, and weird, the people that really fall for craft beer hard, but we just found so many of our people so quickly and it just really reinforced to us, this, this is why we do this. So we knew what we loved, we knew how we liked to host events, how we liked to bring people in for more than just a drink and it, it kind of paid rewards once we did it, once we did it for ourselves rather than someone else. Hello and welcome to We Are Beer People, a podcast all about the many different people who help us enjoy beer. I'm your host, Rob Cadwell, and I reckon if you're listening to this, then there's a good chance that you are one of the beer people too. You might be involved in the world of beer, you may want to find out more about the industry, or perhaps you simply enjoy drinking the stuff. So join me now as I have a chat with one of the beer people. Welcome to a railway arch in Windsor, Berkshire. But this is a railway arch that's become somewhat of a destination beer location, with Two Flints Brewery literally next door and Windsor and Eaton Brewery just a few hundred metres away. We're at Indie Rabble Brewery in Taproom, which has been open now for about six months. And I'm delighted to be speaking with co-owner Dave Hayward, who also co-owns the two A Hoppy Place bottle shops in Windsor and Maidenhead. Dave and his partner Naomi have a great story of following their passion to bring a better balance to their lives and over the past four years building a community of people all around beer. We record this podcast on a Thursday night in their bustling, bright and colourful taproom. So as well as the bubble of conversation, you may hear the occasional sounds of Dave's dog Simcoe and her best friend Copper playing together in the background. It really shows the welcoming environment they've created here. I do have my worries though. The royal family are definitely going to be missing out on some of their usual Windsor crowds and I put this to Dave. Are the rumours true that you're stealing away footfall from the nearby castle? <laughs> um, we'd like, I'd like to think that's true. I, I don't know if it's exactly true yet, but it's something we really want to like, work on as we get into next year especially. Um, yeah. So we really want to, and I'll, I'll probably try and get this into your pod a few times today, uh, generate what we're calling the Windsor Beer Mile. And, yeah, get people to come to town, not just because there's some posh people at the top of the hill, but Absolutely, because there's yeah. fantastic the beer house. down here as yeah. well. And of course you can see the castle from outside, so in the summer months, have a look at them whilst drinking a nice tasty pint or something. Absolutely, and you can really be nearer to the railway station Absolutely from getting not. here or anything like that, but it all looks good. So, cheers, anyway. Cheers. Cheers. Um, so, firstly, how are you doing, um, and what have you been up to today on Thursday? Um, that, 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 it's a big question. Um, so, we'll get it out there up front. I work in the beer industry. I also work in the IT industry. I also now do, do, do sales and everything else. Um, so, today... Um, I'll, I'll, get, I'll take you through it from the beginning. Um, I made some bad choices last night that involved beer that I shouldn't have drunk quite late into the evening because <laughs> yesterday we were hosting a pub quiz in Hobby Place Maidenhead, which is my second uh, full-time job, of course, yep. managing that. At um, this point, can I ask how many full-time jobs you, you have? It, it's three at the moment. I think that's probably the limit because I do need to sleep at points. That's fair enough, um, yeah. So, yeah, so we did that. I hosted the pub quiz. That was lovely. Had a couple of beers after. That was lovely at the time. Woke up this morning. That was less lovely. You're dealing um, with your past decisions at this yeah, point. Yeah, and then, and then had to rush over to Heathrow Airport to do my day job where I manage a couple of teams um, and am director in a tech company. Um, which I still have to do full time because um, we might talk about 
uh, beer industry health and all the rest of it in, in a short time. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And then I've rushed straight from there here to, to have a chat with you yes. in my third full-time job, uh, Rob, which is, of course, co-owner of this brewery. Excellent. So. Well, thank you very much for joining us. I know how busy you are today. Can you tell us uh, who you are and what you do? Yeah, I can say uh, I'm Dave. I co-own this place here, Indie Rabble, as well as a hobby place. Um, and really, I, I don't do much time behind the bar anymore. I, I did in the early days. So Hobby Place Windsor is about four and a half years old now, just starting to plan out our fifth birthday, which will be in August. And, um, you know, in the early days, it was very much Naomi, who's upstairs making Christmas decorations, uh, my, my wife and co-owner, um, as well as her brother, Jason, and, and I. That was the business. That yeah. was just the three of us. So we would always be bar side as well. Um, but quite quickly, I realised that although I can pour a pint, um, my, my, my strength is in the operational side, the finance side, the website side. Yep. You know, something that we're quite lucky about is just, well, terribly unlucky in the first hand, which was six months into us running, COVID happened. Yeah, it was but very um, unfair, wasn't it? It, it was, yeah. it was unfair, but we just started to build some regular customers. And, you know, the lucky part is I do IT by day and I, I'm kind of quite good at it. So we managed to get our website going and trading online and driving around delivering beer mm. quite, quite quickly. So... What I do really is, is, is ferry stuff around and try and keep people happy. And that, that's, that's our staff to make sure that we're doing well here um, at the Hoppies and now at the brewery um, and the, 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 the public as well. So I do a lot of the, the, the face of both businesses. I do the social media. It's usually me talking rubbish on the internet yeah. about beer, about either this <laughs> business or the other, trying to engage with people. Yep. So really, I just turn up, prop up at the side of the bar, talk rubbish, and then hopefully things go well enough that I can pay our staff at the end of the month as well. That's right. Uh, yeah. The that, important stuff. Today. Yeah. <laughs> but a little bit like a swan then, so people probably see the calm exterior, but there's a lot going on. Yeah, although I don't, I don't think I look entirely calm a lot of the time either. <laughs> we'll give you that as a podcast. No one can see. That's fine. Uh, but if you could take us back to the beginning then. So why beer? What brought you here? So that, I, I, I like this this story because um, it's a hobby of passion but it was kind of in my case done for altruistic reasons really so you know from the age of 14 really I, I was drinking beer quite regularly I found you know at the time it was commercial lager there's a lot of carling and stuff like that which uh, whatever it's fine I'm not the kind of person who um, dumps on big macro beer I, I, I don't sell it because why would I but it is what it is I think our product's better but again if, if that's what someone drinks we've got an opportunity to give them a tasty pint of our lager and hopefully prove that it's better. So I'm not, I'm not here to gatekeep craft beer for people. But uh, yeah, I started drinking early um, in a local pub that we definitely weren't allowed into, but it's okay because the owners are out the back illegally gambling and whatever else they were doing. So all the 14-year-olds drinking lager was, yeah. was to them not, not a problem. And for, you know, for about 10 years, that was it. That was really what, what I did. Uh, at some point in the midst of that, I met Naomi, my, my now wife. Uh, we've been together for 18 odd years. And um, she quite liked to be as well. And her dad was a big drinker as well. So we had, we had that in common. And for us, from the very beginning, it was because of the social aspect. So I, I went to that pub when I was too young to meet five or six mates who were also too young. And we'd have a great time around a table. And beer was a part of that conversation. And uh, for Naomi and I, that, that was very much the same thing again. And about ooh, seven years ago now, because Naomi was commuting from Maidenhead, where we now live, um, we moved from northwest London at some point to Maidenhead. Yep. She was commuting to Shoreditch every day to work in the fashion industry. So she's, a, a, as you've seen, um, quite a good designer, has a good eye yeah. for things like this. That was her life, and she was done with it. Uh, it's a very, very tough industry. 
very unrewarding, unforgiving with a four-hour commute every day. Yeah. And we, 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 we sat down and had a heart-to-heart about, you know, what, what would she rather do? Um, and we, we kind of settled on beer. So my origins for getting into this industry, and I'd like to touch on it a bit more later, but was, was really to make sure that Naomi had the career that she wanted. So I was the, the, the man with the numbers behind her vision, really, for Poppy Windsor, and that's where we started and where we've come from. Yeah, oh, lovely. So it all, yeah, all starts from people, which was, was my next question, really, and we've heard a bit how busy you are, but... I think you couldn't have a hobby place in an indie rabble without all the people around you. 100%. The partners, the co-owners uh, and all of that and the crowdfunders. But how have people helped you get here? So, like, people, I mean, we wouldn't be trying to do this, uh, as I said, if we hadn't had a love for that environment, for the people, for pubs, for pints, uh, for community. And when we started a hobby place, um, I think Naomi and I, we lived in Maidenhead at that point for about five years we're just over ten now yeah. and we'd not really made any friends in the area we still had contacts from where we used to live in Harrow but we had no one out, out here really um, except each other yeah. and we started the pub um, within a couple of years there were you know 30 or 40 people that we consider close friends and call close friends and I just realised you know maybe we're all a bit a bit different and, and weird the people that really fall for craft beer hard but we just found so many of our people so yeah. quickly and it just really reinforced to us this is why we do this. So we didn't We knew what we loved. We knew how we liked to host events, how we liked to bring people in, but for more than just the drink. Um, and it kind of paid rewards once we did it. Once we did it for ourselves yeah. rather than someone else. Yeah. We did a little bit part time elsewhere with other breweries and stuff like that as well. Yeah, once it was ours, the people came to us, and you know, it's it's very difficult at the moment. Um, but that engagement, that community that sense of belonging is, is, is why why we've kept going and why we've yeah. battled through the tough times and it's why we do this. Absolutely. And well, I think we'll come back to the tough times, I think, at the moment that we're, <laughs> that we're in. They're certainly being felt by so many people um, at the moment. Um, I'd like to talk about perhaps how you got into that first, the first step now. So you're probably three steps in to two hobby places and um, Indie Rabble. So, but I guess, yeah, how did you get into that, that first so to, to, to call back to what, what I said, Naomi needed a change. Yeah. Um, and we, at the time, had started frequenting a brewery in Henley, uh, which was, it still exists, but it no longer has a tap room, unfortunately, Lover One's Brewery. Yeah. So we, we absolutely loved it there. And what we found there, it's like a big wooden barn. It had a you know, plastic roof. It was freezing cold in the winter. The radiators didn't work. Sort of shonky garden furniture inside. But a hundred of the nicest people we'll ever meet that frequented yeah. it. And it, we got to, and the beer, by the way, is astounding and still is astounding. Yeah. Um, it's not the most fashionable to some. It's classic styles, well executed, all that's the beer I love. Yeah. Um, but we just fell for that place quite hard. Um, during Naomi's sort of real, you know, pontification, what do I do with my life? You know, sort of quarter life crisis kind of stuff. We, we were sat there having a beer over it and, and we spoke to the owner, Je- uh, Jeff, and just sort of said, well, could Naomi do some shifts here? Um, and she did she, yeah. she started working behind the bar there and um, you know then at a certain point in time Naomi had an event because she's also in a band so I turned up and I did the shift and then Jeff the owner said well I'm doing a pop-up bar in uh, college somewhere up the hill in a couple of weeks Dave do you want to run that so then I did and then I started learning how to you know plug John Guest into each other and set up a beer chiller yeah. and do the cellaring side of stuff which was new to us and uh, that was our initial way in and we went from there. Naomi managed to secure a full-time role at Mad Squirrel. Um, who, if anyone who's listening doesn't know, I think they've got six uh, tap rooms now. They're quite mm-hmm. successful, and their owner, Greg Blesson, comes from big 
big alcohol, as it were, is Diageo. And yep. what he's done is establish a brewery and taproom model where he can sell really all of his beer in his own, his own outlets. Like yep. anything they send to trade is a bonus for them. And that, I think, is a very, very clever way to run a business. Um, she worked there for a couple of years. Not even that long, I think about a year. Mm-hmm. And then um, we went to Windsor for a walk, as you do. And we were sort of thinking we'd like to do this ourselves, you know, yes. like it, it, this is what, you know, I, I, I have some business acumen. Um, Naomi loves being in charge, uh, not having to um, beg, borrow and steal for permission to do everything yep. elsewhere to get budget for events. You know, we want to do this ourselves. And what we always wanted was a music and craft beer hub. And um, so we had to make our own, but no one knew who we were. Mm-hmm. We had no trading history. We, I didn't know how to establish a company at that point. And um, we tried a couple of estate agents for a couple of units in Windsor um, and got really no response at all. And then one day just saw a really sort of shoddily written sign in a window that said to let uh, call this number. And the the window, it used to be, for anyone who knows Windsor very well over the years, it used to be a German bakery. So there's a big German flag in the window on St. London's Road, uh, but it was all closed up. It was ancient. All the furniture in there was from the 70s. but the guy phoned us back, and it's a private landlord yep. who um, we submitted our business plan to. I, I, I googled how to do a business plan, uh, but so it took it very seriously. You could probably pop that into AI now and yeah, generate probably. something, but I guess you had to do the hard uh-huh. yards at that point. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, put, put a lot of numbers into that, yeah. submitted it to him, gave him our vision, yep. sat down, had a beer together, and, and he believed in us. So with sort of no reputation in the beer industry, no trading history whatsoever, Suddenly, we had a lease on a shop in Windsor, yeah, and that, yeah, that was just under, well, just over four and a half years ago now that that we got the keys for that. So, wow. yeah, and then things snowballed. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so, in some ways, Lover Bonds was your gateway into the into the business. It, it was, and, and and the community that that Jeff had yeah. in that tap room, which is sadly now a block of flats, um, it, it it's what really cemented to us that the way what. I don't know if it's the way to be successful because the jury's still out on that, but what we wanted to create mm-hmm. was a space for our mates that hopefully also pay the bills. Yeah. And, and we've loved like the majority of it, even through COVID, the connections that we made with people, yeah. um, the bonds that we've got, the permanent friendships that we've got. Yeah. Of course, we met two people in the Hoppy Place Garden. Um, turns out one of them's quite a good brewer and it's led to the building you're in now, which is the brewery as well. None of that would happen without Lover Bonds. None of that would have happened without that landlord believing in us. Yeah. Um, yeah, we met Alex and Ali there, and, uh, and here we are now, kind of thing, you know, Absolutely, a few years yeah. later. So. It always comes back to people, though, doesn't it? Yeah. Like people giving you a chance, people helping Absolutely. you, people coming together, and Absolutely. all those sorts of things. So. And it's, it, it's often said, but craft beer is just such a lovely industry, because whenever anyone needs anything, there's someone there prepared to give up their time for free, for nothing in return, no, you know, no future favours. It's just, oh, yeah, um, yeah, you could try and do this. Yeah. Or, oh, you need gas, we'll, we'll, we'll bring it over. You need yeah. a beer on an emergency, you can't afford to pay, we'll bring it over, sort us out. All of that kind of stuff. It, it's just a really refreshingly kind industry to be a part of. Yeah, I've heard it a lot, but um, people say that brewers and breweries uh, do help out, and it's they quite do. unusual. You think um, in other industries they could be viewed as competitors. Yeah, um, I think a great example is literally, literally next door. Um, so Two Flints next door, they opened about four months before us. And when we were taking tenancy of this arch, um, uh, they were asked, how do you feel about another brewery being next door? And we were asked, how do you feel about another brewery being next door? And of course, the Arch Co, they, they, they put us both in. Uh, and they opened about three months ahead of us, but they, we both started and we're both breweries. We're both the same size of brewery, which is a lot of beer to sell. We're both trying to fill our tap rooms every night. And yet on both sides, we said, yeah, that's great. 
because you know we'll get more people down. We can be more than the sum of our parts. And uh, I mean, we share a forklift. We've, we've, we've co-hosted events where yep. people get one wristband for both breweries. And I think you know, it, I can't think of another industry where another business doing exactly the same thing as you could open next door and be like. Oh yeah, great! Can we share equipment and brew together and, and help each other with recipes and sell each other's beer and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, uh, it's a very beery thing. And I think if you had done carbon copies of each other and been the same thing, there would be no reason for people to go to both. But you're yeah. all different. You offer different things to different people, different yeah. beers, different environments. We do. That. I think that's that's good. It's not like by design from our side no. that, that we're different. It, it's kind of luck. But you know, Naomi and I and Alex and Ali, the, the four of us, we enjoy. You could argue sometimes the more classic end of the beer spectrum, but executed very well. Yep. So my favourite beer styles are West Coast IPAs, lagers and stouts. Yep. Um, the head brewer next door at Two Flints, Brett, he's got a very, very good background as a hazy IPA producer. And we do, that, we do those as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then equally, you know, we're more, we're more into our live music. Um, they, they show the rugby more. Uh, but we just seem to complement each other really well. And there's Absolutely. a lot of value for people coming to both. And, you know, we do this constant glass armistice where we've got a whole tray of two flints glasses, we walk them back next door <laughs> yeah. and vice versa. Like, we don't care if someone sits down in here and drinks one of their beers. Yeah. Uh, we just want as many people as possible to come to Windsor and, um, and enjoy Windsor beer. Absolutely. And that's, it's not just us two, it's Windsor and Eaton Brewery as well. They've been here 10 years. Equally, they've been very supportive of us, uh, which we were you know, slightly more nervous about, but they get it as well. And yeah. all three businesses just want good people to come and drink good beer and, and it's, it's, it's nice definitely and it, I mean it's better for beer drinkers because you've got more choice you've got more options um, you can whatever you're feeling that day you can go to it and hopefully it's better for you guys because it's more of a magnet and yeah. coming back to your Windsor Beer Mile it's yeah. going to help um, encourage that yeah we really want to work that next year like, you know you sort of you, you, your average coach load of American tourists for example and there's dozens of them every day that come in yeah. if we can just you know how many of them would be excited in a brewery plus castle tour you know get off the coach go to the castle see some royal stuff I don't know what they do up there come down here and have some great beer and, yeah. uh, there's, there's definitely a big market for it and that's what we want to do we want Windsor to be greater than some of its parts everyone goes to Bermondsey people go to Walthamstow now as well yeah. We're building something that genuinely competes with those spaces. Yeah. Um, we want to get people here to experience it. Uh, for someone running three different business locations, and you've mentioned you've got your day job in IT as well, I'm sure there's no average day, but what would a typical day or week look like for you? So I'll answer in terms of a week because the day is just too chaotic. Uh, the only day that I understand how it's going to go in advance and it's new, it's changed again, but it's, it's my Mondays. So in the day job, um, I work compressed hours now. So I do four days a week, kind of, you know, 8.30 till 6.15, to long days. And then my evenings are uh, dedicated to these places. Whereas Monday, that's my hoppy indie day. So Monday now, we get in, you know, get a coffee, get a bacon roll usually, and that's six, eight hours selling. Um, and that's, that's you know, we're, we're trying to get into as many accounts as possible with the brewery. Uh, it's myself. I know, I'm fortunate to know a lot of people in the craft beer industry because of Hoppy. So I've got a lot of connections, yep. a lot of breweries that have bars, a lot of bottle shops that were in the same space together, a lot of pubs that I've you know, gotten to know over the years um, that I can now lean on to, to try and buy beer. So at the moment I'm leaning on my connections as best I can to get us trade accounts. Yep. Quite cool, we've had our beer in you know, almost 100 outlets already. Wow. Um, we've been selling yeah. it for three weeks really. So it's, it's been quite quite yeah. good so far, but that that's my Monday is really selling as best I can. I'm not 
I'm not wonderful on the phone. I'm one of these people that can fire off you know, 50 emails in the time it takes to pluck up the courage to yep. dial one number. But uh, we're working on that, and that's alongside Charlotte, who's someone that we picked up uh, working at uh, Hoppy Maidenhead. Although her background is Windsor. She's a Windsor local. Uh, she used to work at Windsor and Eton as well. And she's now helping me on social media and on sales nice. and all that. Yep. So my Mondays, they're relatively clear. The rest of the week for me personally is, is just abject chaos, <laughs> it, it must be said. So every, every day I am somewhere, usually multiple places, doing multiple jobs. So, all at once. Yeah, all, all at once. So it tends to be like today's a great example. Um, got up at eight, feeling terrible. Should have got up at seven, but I knew I was going to feel terrible. Yeah. Um, got dressed, jumped in the car immediately, went straight to Heathrow, where I work my day job, which you know I manage several teams and a couple of products many, many hours on the phone, on teams, arguing, battling, and in any gap I find, which is usually lunch, trying to deal with comms or you know, paying some invoice or other, or, yeah. or you know, a staff HR issue. So I've ended up managing quite a lot of people as well, um, across both, both lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it's, uh, it's just trying to fit it all in. You know, I, I owe and am accountable for the, the, the day job as well, so it's not like I can just dial that in. I have to fight for that. Um, and then, there's always something in the evening now, and that's fine. And then sometimes I judge placebo, or you know, sometimes I do this or that, or go to a beer festival. Or, yeah, it, it's. I tend to work seven day weeks every single week. I tend to do at least two jobs every day, mm-hmm. full hours in both. Yeah. Um, eventually, something's going to have to give. And what you know, what I hope for in the long term is is that this is my life. Um, I, I I still enjoy the day job. I still enjoy IT but I can be using all of those skills to develop this place rather than to develop that. And, and if there was enough money in the beer industry, I, I, I would be. But in the meantime, I'm, you know, I'm making sure that other people around me are, uh, have got jobs and have got careers and I'm developing them. And I'm happy with that too. It's just, uh, I need to look after myself eventually. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> You've got to start with yourself and then uh, everything yeah. else comes around. But how does it feel having those many jobs and commitments? So I guess you're always on the go. There's not um, a ta- chance to step down no, it's kind of a blessing and a curse with, yeah. with, with beer, which is most of the people I get on with the best, I, I've ended up hiring, really. So it's all working with, in the case of Alex and Ali, our founders here. So there's always, like, there's always a double-edged sword because there's a lot of pressure to not let them down as well. So it's like, you know, we're mates, we'll go out for a beer after work. But if I don't hit a sales target or if I don't manage our costs or if I don't get enough customers through the door, then I might not be able to pay them, and that's their livelihoods. You know, for it is a bit of a comfort blanket for me the fact that I've got an income elsewhere. Uh, as much as it's exhausting me to, to do it, um, it, it does alleviate that pressure very slightly. But I've got, you know, across these two businesses now, Hoppy and Indy, there's ten people that rely on me for their livelihood, and um, it is it is stressful. It's, it's hard to manage, especially when you know I I go out drink with them, and, and they're my mates and. and Sometimes that can be hard to, to, to kind of trade off. Um, yeah, I'm not... In the day job, I don't have that pressure. So I'm boss for a number of people. Yep. I manage products. We, we, we deal in sort of multi-million pound revenues in that place. Um, not that I do. I'm on, I'm on salary. I don't see any of that. But it's big business. And, um, you know, if that does badly, there's a group to protect us as individuals. Whereas here, it, you know, it's, it is all on me and it is stressful. And does it feel better... You know, the fact that you're doing that and you're coming back to an industry, a place you love, you know, literally a, pla- a place you love that I mean, you can do that. So you, in a way you can maybe recharge when you're doing some of this. Look, I mean, people listening to this will relate. It's very 
difficult industry at the moment. I think there's a lot of exhausted, tired, quite lonely people, and especially leaders. Yeah. Um, you know, everyone, but but people who who is like I, you know, you've got to look at yourself and think: Is this going to work? Am I successful? Have I failed? It, it's very very stressful, and there's no way we've we've had several like fight or flight moments in this business. The first one was COVID. Um, we we suffered a very close personal family loss at the beginning of COVID, and it's like either we stop or we. If I can swear on your pod, I don't know. We fucking fight. And we, we chose the latter. And I've done that over and over. And the reason for that is we do love this industry and what it can represent and the, the, the people that are in it, as I've said already. Um, and the beer, of course, when it's good. And I wouldn't give it up. And I've had to ask myself that question many, many, many times. Probably, probably hundreds of times, probably weekly. But I still wouldn't give it up, which is why we're fighting on. And, um, you know, there will, there will be more losses this year. But the people that survived, that they would have done so because they were in it together, and we're looking out for each other, and yeah, that's why we're here. Here's to that. Um, what have been the, I guess, the biggest step up? Was it going from not being in the industry to going to a hobby place, to going to a second hobby place, or going to opening a brewery and tap room? Certainly, the biggest financial commitment was the brewery, mm-hmm. um, but it's an interesting story because for me, we'd done it before at that point you know we'd started a new site we'd, we'd spent money we'd invested we'd crowdsourced uh, crowdfunded sorry we'd been there so for Naomi and I it's kind of like the same again but bigger but we understood the steps we understood when the pinch points and the pressures would be um, and, and how it was going to feel and it kind of went that way so I wasn't that stressed during the build up of the brewery really I trusted Alex implicitly as a brewer and, and his beers are proving that and I thought I could sell the beer and so far I've been able to and yeah, we know how to spin up a business now. We've done it a few times. The, the toughest one was actually Maidenhead, our second site. Because when we opened Windsor, we were... Uh, I, I always... Sorry for going off on a tangent, but remember a, a particular terrible speech from Donald Rumsfeld, which is the known knowns, the known unknowns, the unknown unknowns. I know that I one think... from being a history and international relations <laughs> student and uh, doing a many, many an essay about those knowns and unknowns. And I, I think the unknown unknowns is what saved us the first time round. Uh, we had no idea what we were getting into, whereas for Maidenhead, we knew we were doing it again, but at three times the size and five times the cost. And yeah. that was the scariest uh, of the launches. Yeah, proof yet again that ignorance is often bliss. Oh, and, and you can deal with things when they come up. But... And l- luckily, we, we seem to have been sort of responsive and reactive enough to roll with the punches from then on. But we had no idea what we were getting ourselves into. Um, you know, people all around us saying, well, that won't work, that won't work. And it, and it did, but I, I definitely thought there'd be, you know, an easier time to be had than it turned out to be the case. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. Well, we roll with the punches on those. And you say, obviously, people saying things might not work or anything like that. What would you say that others should know if they're considering going into opening a bottle shop, a tap room, a brewery, or any of the, those things in the well, industry? I, I, I'd answer that in, in series, but I'll try and be brief. Um, don't open a bottle shop. That's the first one. If you're going to try and sell beer, you have to have draft and drink in because I think community is the only thing that makes this industry viable right now. Those, those close-knit connections, that desire for your mate who owns a beer business to succeed, It only exists if you spend time together. So for me, we started, we always knew we'd be both. And that's something we actually learned from Mad Squirrel, where Naomi used to be. Um, You know, they have a big selection of takeaway. And and we started by visiting their Cheshire branch, which is their smallest branch as well. Wall of takeaway, four beers in the corner. 
and, and that's expanded and expanded from then on. But I think without the latter, the former wouldn't work. Um, you get, you know, you get to know people. You then, once they've had two beers off draft, you go and grab a can. And it's like, hey, I don't know, uh, Rob, uh, try this. You know, have a bit of this. We'll share it. And you do that with a table of four regulars that are in, and then you start to get them on that journey of trying the weird and wonderful. You can't just have the can sales now. Categorically, there's not enough margin to survive. Um, especially you've got businesses selling a lot of cheap beer on the internet. You've got this real squeeze from the supermarkets. You've got this real squeeze from uh, a few other sort of distributors and websites I, I won't name um, now. But, but that doesn't work. You need the people. Um, yeah, so Taproom and Brewery, very quickly. It can work, but my God, it's not easy at the moment. The, the, the margins are so, so, so tight. You need to charge a lot. I, I don't, unless you're going to run it yourself, staff it yourself, live in it, and be on your own, if you have to pay staff, you have to pay any kind of decent rent in the southeast, it's very tough to make it work. So just, just be very sure of your business plan and your numbers and check them with people who are already in the industry. I said earlier, people are friendly. If you say, this is what I think my forecasts are going to be for this site, someone will answer and tell you what you've missed, correct it, they'll help. You know, I'm not, I don't see another business starting up and think, I hope they fail. I, I see them starting up and think, well, firstly, maybe I can sell some beer to them, now I've got the brewery as well, because yeah. I play both sides of it. But secondly, I, I hope they know what they're doing. And that's where we are now. It can work. There are places still profitable, successful, happy, thriving. But it's, yeah, it, it, it's very, very hard. And I guess that's where you probably see the synergies more between a brewery and a tap room and having those all together, different reasons for people to visit. And I think the brewery tap is, is critical, really. I think, again, it's, it's engagement. I know, I know some places do very well when they can't have people on site and seeing the brewery, seeing the brew kit, the shiny. But it just, people want to feel like they're a part of something. And if they come in and drink and they can see the tanks the beer came out of, they do. But I think that's really important. What do you think people would be most surprised to know about a hobby place or indie rabble? It's hard to say. I think people... It's a compliment for the hobby. I think people assume that see our website and stuff that, 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 that we're bigger than we are. I think that's true of a lot of beer businesses. So, like, the biggest bottle shop, online bottle shop that I knew of, um, they've unfortunately gone, gone under, but was a, a little place called Optimism. And it turned out it was one guy called Rob with some boxes of beer in his garage. It was a tiny, tiny operation. But, like, he had the country's probably largest, weird, and wonderful beer following. Um, and then you look at sort of outlets like, um, you know, Beer 52, and it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's, an, it's another galaxy. And we've been compared to them. It's ridiculous. Um, you know, ordering a beer is my brother-in-law, Jason, and I. Um, packing a beer is my brother-in-law, Jason, and I, and mostly him. Um, shipping beer is often me in the back of my stupid car that's not a van. We're a small little outlet and hopefully people think we do well. Um, but it, it's, it's common, even, even this place, it, it's, it's polished, it's big, it's shiny, but it's a tiny number of people making it happen. And um, yeah, ho hopefully we seem like we know what we're doing, I guess would be the thing. I'm not sure I do. <laughs> But yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you definitely do that. You've mentioned a few of your different hats that you wear, but what's your favourite hat to wear? Um, hosting beer events, for sure. So I like talking to people. I like to feel like I know what I'm talking about. So my, my, in IT, um, a lot of my time was spent as a consultant. So it's going on site with our bit of software. I know more than the customer. I can be in front of one person or 500. It doesn't faze me at all. I love that kind of thing. 
So, like, in the early days, and it's also really good, it got us a lot of customers, I'd host beer schools every month. I'd be, I'd be there, I'd be giving people beer history, taking people through a journey, you know. A lot of the people that came into winter in the early days, there was no other craft offering in town at all. They've had bitters, they've had lagers, they've had traditional English pale ales. And suddenly we're turning up with like double and triple hop, tasty, insanity, sour beer, imperial stouts, pastry stuff. And, and getting that connection where someone that I'm talking to is excited about something they've never had before. And, and then wanting me to tell them more about it, that, that's absolutely the best part of the job. Uh, second best is buying beer. Um, I'm like a kid in a sweet shop, just going around ordering cases of this and yeah. that. Try, trying to uh, be financially responsible while I do. Yeah. It's always uh, yeah. having a personal mindset, but also remembering it's yeah. for the business and you need to sell it as well. Yeah, I just, I just like, I, I like people to come to me and ask me about beer. I love talking about beer. I love connecting over a great beer. Yeah, yeah those, those are the benefits. And before we recorded this, we were sort of preparing for it, and you mentioned um, your personality type. <laughs> Is that something you want to talk about a little bit? Well, I think for everything that I've just said, I'm actually yeah. quite a shy and reserved person. So, like, I'm confident when I know my subjects. So, this, uh, the people coming to me and asking me about beer is really important to me on like a personal level because if I'm at home, I'll, I'll just be at home quietly, like you know, on my laptop or for the five, ten minutes a day that I've actually got playing a computer game, something like that. Sometimes I have to force myself to go out. I really do because it's like uh, people, engagement, and whatever. But once I'm there, you know, I'd, if I didn't have beer, if I didn't have something that I knew intricately, I'd still be very, very shy and reserved. Um, but because I do know that, I can just jump in and. Um, yeah, it's funny. What, what, what? I can totally relate to all of that. I think it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, what shared interest does for you. I know, just yeah, but it does, it does just help, doesn't it? It's, it's like, like, you know, all of my experiences at the pub, it's like, you get your beer, you sit down, and you say, so mate, what do you think of that? And it just starts a conversation every time. Yeah. It's wonderful. Because otherwise, it. it'd be like, uh, how was your day? You know, it's so robotic. <laughs> and, and that whole sort of English thing of, how are you? Yeah, great, mate. How are you? Yeah, great. Okay, uh, now what? You know, beer, beer takes that away. So I, I love it for that. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> So we've got this far in the interview um, without me asking, what's your favourite beer? Um, I think my favourite beer isn't one I get much of now, but a specific beer, if I had to name one, I always cite Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. But for me, that's because that was the gateway beer. You know, it was, I remember probably 12, 13 years ago, something like that, it suddenly started appearing in Fuller's pubs. And I went from drinking, you know, either just whatever lager they had or pints of ESB or Pride to, oh, what's this hoppy weird thing there? Um, and trying it and just having my mind absolutely blown by the flavour that it had compared to anything that I'd experienced before. We, did, we were starting to have a craft beer scene very early days at that point, uh, but I wasn't aware of it. Um, and that, that really opened my eyes to what, to what beer could be. And since then, of course, you know, great for me, such a commercially available beer, it was in Tesco. Yep. Again, I'm not here to gatekeep people's buying choices. I do think that supermarkets are a great way in for new customers. And we're not rich enough in this industry to turn away any potential new customers. So I embrace that. I don't sell those kind of beers. I can't compete. But I embrace supermarket craft beer. It, yeah, they could get three Sierra Nevadas in Tesco for a fiver, I think it was. And I did that a lot. And that was the beer that started me on all of this. And uh, since been to both breweries... Uh, did a little pilgrimage as part of our uh, wedding uh, honeymoon to Chico. I uh, got the opportunity with my day job to go to, well, Georgia 
but only a state and a half away. So I rented a car and drove there and went to Mills Into uh, the Mills River as well in North Carolina. And uh, to, I think the best beer city experience I've had in Asheville in North Carolina as well with Burial and, and, and uh, Sierra and the likes. And yeah, there are still some people in this country that don't understand how completely um, in the pocket or, or, or favor of the American beer market we are. Everything that's here wouldn't exist without what they did. But people think, ah, oh, it's all Budweiser. No, without, without America, this country's beer scene wouldn't exist. And uh, yeah, that, that was the beer that started me off on all of this. Absolutely. <laughs> Speaking with um, obviously Henry, who was at Darkstar beforehand, and there's stories about you know the uh, Darkstar founder bringing hops back in a suitcase <laughs> and all that, and you hear lots of yeah. that. And um, America had such back an influence then, all this way. It's and Goldings here. It is, know, yeah. So. That's, that's all we have to rub together. <laughs> but... It's interesting to see that some of that coming back a bit, isn't it? So it sort of comes into vogue again. And yeah, and well, I mean, I, I mean, like a, a slight segue to that, but what we're doing with the English hop market now is really remarkable. Obviously, a lot of them are spliced from sort of American origin hops originally. But I, had a, I got my hands on a batch of UK Cascade recently when we brewed at Ampersand for one of our launch collabs, and it's absolutely incredible. So this, this country can do a lot more than just Fuggles and Golding. Yeah. <laughs> so we're very used to doing Fuggles and Golding and doing that well. And some of the new hops that are coming out there, they, they, they range, I think. They're still a hybrid between English and US, I think. Yeah. And you might have to use them differently to a US or an English hop. I think, I think like, you know, it's come up quite a lot recently, but the word terroir, as it relates to beer, our appellation, to use a wine word, is not the same. Our soil's not the same. The humidity and the temperature are not the same but we can get very close. It's super, you know, I love a traditional bitter brewed well, don't get me wrong, I love English beer styles. Um, and I'm not actually the biggest fan of hazies, like all, all of the big, incredibly yellow, incredibly aromatic tropical stuff. I tend to prefer something big and bitter. But um, yeah, what, what our country can do, um, if you know how to use the hops, is, is pretty remarkable now, um, which maybe is good with the cost of shipping and the cost of fuel and energy and all of that kind of stuff. But. What's your best place to enjoy a beer? I'm going to contradict myself massively by naming one venue, but then I'll try and name a second one. So on occasion, everything that I just said about being the centre of ascension, about loving people, about loving talking about beer, I also think I'd quite like to just be anonymous but still have a drink. So there's um, a pub called The Bell in Waltham St. Lawrence that has, amongst a good food menu and a log-burning fire and a very dog-friendly friendly atmosphere generally, um, Rothouse Hefeweizen on draft for some reason a load, a load of traditional um, cask beer yeah. another lager but then Rothaus Hefeweizen and their Pilsner as well on one of the big traditional German beer fonts oh, and Naomi and I when we feel the need to escape you know things have got too much we don't want to have yet another can worry about the cost of hops or the cost of rent yeah. we go there they do a lovely beer bread with balsamic vinegar oil get some salt, get that, get a and stare at the log burner. That's my favourite happy place right now, excluding for our outlets. Um, but then other than that, anywhere with good beer, really. What's the one thing you wish people knew about beer? I'm going to have to answer that like a financially-minded man. Um, what it costs to produce, honestly. You know, we're, we're at a point now with, you know, malt costs being 50% up on two years ago, CO2 costs being 200% up on two years ago. I could go on all night. Electricity, you know, I should, by rights, charge over seven quid for a pint of beer. I don't, because people can't pay it. I understand the pressure that locals are under as well. 
of course I do, and we want to be full, we want to be thriving. But it is very, very hard, and it can be quite stressful when you get people questioning what you charge. And like that, that's the main reason we don't sell anything that's in a supermarket. It's not principles, it's not gatekeeping. It's because if a beer's two quid there, but I have to charge four quid for it, I can't countenance the conversation constantly. Well, they ordered more, so they pay less. They need less margin per product because it's a loss leader for them. All of that stuff, I can't, I can't deal with. It's, it's very, 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 very hard for this industry at the moment. And that's not the fault of the industry. So that's a dry answer, but um, yeah, it, it, it gets to me. <laughs> I, no, I think that's totally fair. And I think you can make that case when you're brewing the beer on site. It's, it doesn't get fresher than this, does it? <laughs> so, um, are there any changes you'd make to the beer industry? The pub tie. Um, so I, I, I mentioned earlier Mad Squirrel. That's where Naomi started in beer. Um, the reason that they did that, and I've tried to mirror this business model myself, is it's very well known that there are a tiny, tiny number of untied outlets in this country. There are something like 30,000 untied outlets in a sea of hundreds of thousands of venues. But loads of those also have equipment ties. So if you're, not, if you, if you're a free house originally, then Diageo or Cause or whoever, uh, Heineken's a big part of this, they go in and say, well, we know you're a free house, but wouldn't you like a brand new seller? And then you have to take their products. And they're like, oh, don't worry, we have craft too. And then that's Beaver's now. And, and the, the, the public, you know, in the majority don't care. If they're into a hazy beer now, they don't care if it's owned by Heineken or, or whoever else. They're, they're, they're not bothered. We need more routes to market. The, the reason that we started with a brewery, uh, sorry, the reason that we started with two bottle shops and bars before we established the brewery is we knew we needed sites to move our beer. And in an ideal world, I'd have three or four. And that's because I can't guarantee taps anywhere else. Getting a tie on a lager, no, it's impossible. It takes years of reputation, constant badgering, which is time I don't have. And, and we're all battling that. There's 2,000 odd breweries in this country. Um, and we're battling, in reality, the same two or 3,000 outlets, all of us fighting for each other's outlets. And um, that was very good work done in the 70s and 80s to defend breweries directly owning all of these sites, but that now has really been turned on its head and, and it's not backfired because initially it was a good idea, uh, the pub, the pub fly model, but, but now we need to look at it again, we really do, because it's just too hard to sell this beer, and it shouldn't be. You know, it's, it's, it's such a massive part of British culture, but yet there's six or eight breweries that represent 80 or 90% of, of all beer available nationwide. Um, yeah, it's very frustrating. What are some of the trends you're seeing in the beer and brewing scene? Some of them are enforced. Um, the most recent one is with beer duty changes, um, which basically, for anyone who doesn't know, it used to be that if you were a small brewery producing less than 5,000 hectolitres a year, half a, half a million litres, that you could uh, get quite a significant amount of tax relief on that. And then above that uh, level, it jumped. And the justification for that is we're a small brewery. I'm producing 2,000 litres of beer at a time. Heineken are producing 100,000 or, or more litres of beer at a time. Um, scales of economy are a factor. The staffing costs are a massive, massive part of running a beer business. Um, we didn't have access to that. We got cheaper tax. The changes that have come in recently allow any beer under 3.4% to get full duty relief. So you see all these big macro brands that had 3.8% beers suddenly got 3.4% beers, and they're getting hundreds of millions of pounds per product in tax relief off the Treasury. So the Treasury think they've helped the industry with these changes. I'm convinced of that. And they've been hoodwinked. 
they've been they've been lobbied successfully by the likes of Heineken, um, you know, Coors, whoever, uh, Marsden's, Carlsberg, to, to make these changes. And it's going to cost the Treasury billions, um, and it's very frustrating because we've lost advantages that we had, and. Um, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't know. It's a tough time at the minute. <laughs> in, in some ways, it's made a level playing field for uh, larger macros that had a yeah, head start already. It, exactly. Yeah. You know, it, it sort of, I don't know, apologies for any Man City fans, but it's saying, you know, Man City are made in Edge United. Well, you play on the same pitch, what do you want? It's like, yeah, the resources aren't the same, though, are they? It's, like, it's still football. You're still <laughs> kicking football around, aren't you? I'm also a football fan. I apologise to anyone who That's hates right. it. Is it Maidenhead? I, I, support, yeah. I support Arsenal. I'm a Londoner. I'm North Londoner by heart. But I'm also, and Hoppy is, uh, excuse the dogs in the background. Oh, Hoppy Place That's is right. now a corporate sponsor of Maidenhead United, which is very cheap. They're, you've they're you've become so corporate. Team. I know. It's not, it's not quite like sponsoring a premiership club. But it means I have a season ticket there and I go along and support them as, as often as I can. And um, yeah, it's, it's, again, it's another little community. There's now eight to ten sort of people I go with every week. So the people in the industry that you think have been instrumental to, to you coming into the industry and growing and 100% um, so I think you know it's something I came from a much more corporate cutthroat world and, and as I said earlier the experience of just how good everyone is in the craft beer industry rubbed off on me really quickly I now spend like a lot of time in the, the, the beer forums trying to help other people now always I am trying to be altruistic there's no agenda there if you see a question pop up I can help answer it so I try to and um, I think the person who inspired some, if not all of that, um, was one, one particular individual, which is Andy, um, Elusive Brewing. I'm sure everyone listening to this knows who Andy is. So Andy Parker. Andy Parker, nicest man in beer. Don't tell him he said so. Um, he just, he's just got time for everyone always. He's got a favour to offer everyone always. He'll collab with you if your brewery is a shoebox or, you know, Oakham or anyone in between. He, he's just there for the betterment of this industry um, and it's so pleasing to see people like that and I also think he models that behaviour in others around him um, so he yeah he's he's brilliant and, and he's one of many don't get me wrong there are a lot of great people in this industry but he, he was a big part of the way I now try and behave hope to emulate some of that um, in, what, in what we do here and I've seen as well that you you've been invited to judge and lead to judge by SIBA yes um, how did that come around so one of the things that I decided I had to do before opening Hoppy, um, I, I seek qualifications, it's something that I do. Uh, so I started working full-time when I was 19, and before that I'd done a couple of years contracting, but for a mate as well. So I've been, I've been in IT and in tech really since I was 17. I pretty much dropped out of college, got a couple of C's, doesn't matter. Um, and then found my, my industry of passion, so to speak, and then realised I needed to be qualified, um, did a business degree in my spare time, um, which took seven years because I was working full-time. And then when that ran out, I didn't know what to do in my evenings. It was before we'd opened Poppy, and uh, so I've got too much spare time. What do I do with that? I don't enjoy it. Of course not. I, I qualified for something else. And knowing that we might eventually start a beer business, I targeted um, it's no longer... Well, it might run again, and I hope it does, with the Beer Inside of Academy, which is like a retail arm, if you like, of the IBD, which is the Institute of Brewing and Distilling. They offered a course with a beer sommelier, um, which, I, which I undertook, uh, so I became qualified basically to talk nonsense about beer, uh, so I'm, I'm a professional shit talker now, sorry for the language, um, and from there um, I was like, well, what do I do with this? And 
I, I was aware of SIBA because I'd seen, actually at Windsor and Eton, I'd seen that they had like SIBA certificates on the wall and stuff like that. But I had no real reason to pursue them at that point beyond, I've got some spare time, I want to learn more about beer. So I took my beer sommelier skills and I sent them a DM on Twitter, actually, and I said, I, I, I see you do beer judging. I'm a beer judge now. And I was like, okay, I didn't expect it necessarily to lead anywhere. But they contacted us and um, gave me, basically, yeah, come, come along to, it was an LBA event in London. I can't remember where it was hosted anymore. LBA, London, London Brewers, Brewers Association, Association yep. uh, which now is huge. At the time, it's still quite a small organisation. I think there's hundreds of members now. Um, yeah, Elusive's in there, Windsor and Eaton are in there, even though they're outside the M25, don't tell anyone. Um, yeah, Wildcard are in there, and so on and so forth. Um, I judged there. Um, and judged under a guy called Neil Walker, the first time I ever judged, who now is their communications director and a big part of all the judging that they do. Um, and he kind of taught me how to lead a table of, of judges with mixed experience and, and judge beer well. And um, I got a real taste for it. I was, I was very lucky in a future round to judge with Melissa Cole, who equally absolutely fantastic, one of the best beer judges and, and, and beer writers in this country. And yeah, it sparked something in me. So I did that about a dozen times. And then one day Neil said, well, we need another table lead. So we'll put you into that. So now, now I sort of do table lead uh, stuff. So now I'm the person turning up and telling everyone else how they should judge. And it's not, it's not telling, but it's, it's kind of like um, herding cats at times, you know, especially when alcohol's involved. It's really trying to pull it all together, get one, you know, vaguely... Yeah, uh, mixed opinion of the beer. You're wanting the to calibrate people. a bit as well, exactly, I guess, to get everyone all together who might be from completely different walks of life yeah. and different beer experiences. But, it, but it's great fun. Again, I, I said I love, I love hosting beer events. I, I love seeming knowledgeable about beer. I hope I actually am knowledgeable about beer. But it's all fantastic experience, and, and I love stuff like that. Have you got any other beer events that are happening at Indie Rabble or a Hoppy Place? So Hoppy, Hoppy's got a couple. Um, we're hosting an IPA school in um, probably after this comes out. So we're with, coming uh, out hopefully in the uh, start of December with this one. So we'd have just missed that, but we've got a dark beer night happening early December as well. So, uh, you know, a stout showcase. Um, and I, yeah, I love to do things like that, talk about beer. Um, all the events that we do, and we try to do one or two a month, um, is on the Hobby Press website and also on social media. Um, the brewery is building up to Christmas now. So we've got a big Christmas fair where we're bringing traders in. It's something we actually got inspired to do by uh, Double Barreled, another Reading brewery. They host Christmas markets and they're always great. Go there, buy a pair of earrings, drink three pints of Parker, love it. Um, so we- Big tick all around <laughs> there, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we want to we try and um, you know, replicate that to the best, the best degree we can, showcase some local uh, traders and, and drink some tasty beer. Um, and then the sort of build up to Christmas and all that entails bit of chaos new year's plans uh, will be determined very soon and then uh, january is going to be very event focused because we need people in so lots of tastings uh, live music indie rabble at that point is going to kick off its live music program so something that we've always wanted to do in windsor is bring another live music venue back to town because there's there's very little there's the old ticket hall but it, it's rough and it's only good after midnight and that's only if you're drunk enough to not realize how bad the beer is <laughs> Uh, we want, we want, you know, a more uh, for, for those with a sophisticated palate, <laughs> but i.e., yeah. you don't want to drink stale Heineken um, to, to come and enjoy some good music. We'll kick that off. Um, but yeah, events, events, events is what is what we need. Is so you get get people in, get them engaged, enjoying something. You know, beer. I don't believe that beer. As much as I've just said, I love judging. I love talking about beer. The beer should be great. But it needs to be great. 
but I want people to come here because of everything else we offer as well. I, I want them to come first and foremost because of the community to come meet their friends over a good pint. Don't just go and get a beer. You can just go and get a beer anywhere. You know, you can do that in a Weatherspoons by yourself. What we want is not that. We want people to come together, have a good time together. Thank you very much, Dave. So where can people follow you and keep up to date with everything Dave and everything Hobby Place and Indie Rabble? So um, we're on all of the socials at both um, A Hobby Place and Indie Rabble. So if it's anything about our beer or our beer businesses, reach out to those channels. It'll be me that picks it up, uh, but from a business perspective. If you want to just talk to me about any aspect of opening a beer business, uh, the beer industry, anything like that, um, then Facebook's probably the best place. If you search for Dave Hayward, you should find me. If you don't, uh, you can also send me an email, which is uh, dave at ahobbyplace.co.uk. Uh, yeah, I'm always happy to talk to anyone about this industry, really. Um, I spend probably far too much time procrastinating, talking to other people about their businesses. Bearing in mind, I already have three full-time jobs that I probably ought to focus. But, uh, you don't have time to procrastinate, I don't well, think. Well, <laughs> no, I, I, I don't, but it, it, it's who I've always been. I'm always spinning plates yeah. and uh, excited by the one that's already crashed on the floor somewhere else at the same time it's the way I am that's very good <laughs> well thank you very much and uh, I think we'll probably say cheers to that cheers thanks for having me on cheers well a very big thank you to Dave and I suppose I should thank Simcoe and Copper too for their contribution thank you as well for listening and I hope you can join me on the next one and this is the part where I ask for your help if you haven't done so already please subscribe to the podcast leave a review or rating or share it with others This really helps us out and helps other people find the podcast, particularly as we're starting out. And you can follow us on social media. Search for We Are Beer People, all one word. You can also email us at wearebeerpeoplepod at gmail.com. Let us know what you think. Share your thoughts. And if you have any recommendations for beer people you'd like to hear from. And until next time, don't forget, you, me, us, them, we are all beer people.